Good morning, Mike. Ray, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. You're sitting down. I've got a back brace on, buddy. That's good. That's good. My pre-surgical back brace. Okay, so you, you did decide you're going through with surgery? Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. You betcha. Let's get that oil change, man. Let's get tuned. I got to get tuned up. Ray, you should know Mike doesn't wait for anything. Well, doctors normally aren't that responsive, right? So he got a second opinion and got sur surgery scheduled within like <laughs> within a week and a half. So yeah, I went to see the guy and he said, yeah, boy, I really like continuity of care. And I said, well, so I get a coupon for a second surgery with you. Huh? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Not sure I'm too fond of continuity of care when it comes to surgery. What's the what's recovery time look like? I'll let you know next next Saturday when we're in this space. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, well, text me this week what pain meds they have you on. We'll see if we need to reschedule. <laughs> and uh, I told them I'm, I'm teaching a Bible study. I told them no, no narcotics. <laughs> Is that in the Constitution of the church? No, no. Am I able to teach on Vicodin? <laughs> yes. Ryan it may make it, it, Ryan may will make be it more exciting. <laughs> Ryan was in a meeting the other night and I had a few too many uh, ibuprofen and my mouth went a little bit. <laughs> it was all good stuff though, Mike. I know. The what the what I, I'm sure was pretty good. I'm not sure the how was the best. <laughs> Sometimes churches in Lancaster County need a little filly in them. <laughs> oh, this will be recorded just so you guys know, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny I'm, good with because it. I'm a little bit vulnerable. I didn't realize uh you know, my wife told me I had the same sweatshirt on every week, so I had to I had to change my outfit. I didn't realize I had to comb my hair or anything like that either. I didn't I didn't know this was gonna be publicized anywhere beyond like it feels pretty intimate in this setting. Yeah. Uh, it's not advertised, but it is accessible. So that's yeah, great. It's I just found out now this was funny. I've been doing a COVID-19 um, dashboard for our school district for like the last 20 weeks. You know, I have six schools. I got to update how many positive cases, blah, blah, blah. Well, somebody hacked into my, my, my Google PowerPoint and, and erased it. Oh no. So I'm worried now that they're going to put like 55 cases. You know, they're just going to mess with me and put a, put a number of cases for our parents to see that they're going to set me up. I don't know who broke in. The, the question is why? <laughs> like, that seems yeah, so, so little and petty. Like, I just couldn't even think to want <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I called my tech guy and I said, my dashboard disappeared. And, and he said, well, it looks like somebody hacked in on Thursday and deleted it. I said, oh, boy, that's fantastic. <laughs> but like, do you really not have anything else going on in your life that you say, hmm, this is a public Google doc. Let me see what I can do. Like, I just, like, what we has to be a school that? kid. I would yeah, say it's one of those too. kids that's at <laughs> learning at home, right? At least he's doing something to advance his education. <laughs> and virtual yeah. learning is fantastic. That's what they learn to do is delete my dashboard. Computer <laughs> skills. Clearly. 
Virtual hey, learning at its finest. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a cynic, to be honest. All right, I got eight thirty. I got eight thirty. So Paterno says go. You got to let me share though, Ray. I'm still disabled. You should be good now, Mike. All right. It's funny, Ray, because you're you're very passive aggressive. You don't give me control until you absolutely want it, right? Well, last week you didn't. I, I was afraid you weren't going to hit record. So. Okay. All right. All right. So let's let's jump in. I'm, I'm you know. I'm, I'm excited. I've been up for a little bit and, and, uh, you know, God had me sleeping till three o'clock this morning. So I had a good five or six hours and then we got after the word a little bit. Um, so, so let's jump in, um, just, just quickly to review. It's good to see everybody this morning, by the way. Okay. Larry, you look great this morning. Um, so what I would say is we're jumping into chapter four, we're going to get through all of chapter four this morning. And pretty much we're just going to start moving through the rest of the book. Um, it, it's hard because you feel like you want to, you know, just kind of stay put on a couple of verses. But I know we got to keep pushing here. At some point, you're going to get sick of me and delete Ray Zoom link. Um, so, you know, we, we watched the wall get started. Uh, we started to build last week. We got a lot of details, you know, went around, you know, in a counterclockwise direction and, and really figured out you know, how this, this whole wall was, was built in such a short period of time. So what happens immediately when you start building, here come the critics. Okay. So I, I think this is, is, is a very valuable uh, chapter. So let's dig in. Okay. God, for whatever yes. reason, brother Dick Vaughn. Okay. Good man. Okay. He, he gave me the scripture this week. I have a, I have a good friend that, that uh, I've been, I've been working with a little bit. And uh, he's been struggling. And, and Brother Dick, you know, he, he's on the drive back from Delaware. And if you know Dick Vaughn and you know Mike Robinson, okay, I call whenever I feel like it. Um, and he picked up the phone and he quoted this scripture. Like, I asked one question. This is what he quoted. And it's the, one of the best scriptures I think I've had in a long time. And I've just, I've just kind of like fell, fell in love with it this week. So take some time just to, to process it. So just looking at this, you know, in this verse, obviously, I, I, I uh, you know, increase the font on demolish strongholds. I've been just like, you know, what what are strongholds? You know, Satan always has strongholds on us. And, and, and how do we fight? What are our what are our weapons? You know, I, I think, you know, Paul in this passage, you know, really does a great job of articulating um, the strongholds that we're going to face. It's going to happen. Um and, and we, we really need to be thoughtful about what our weapons are. So it's not saying, is there going to be a fight? There absolutely is going to be a fight. And, and what kind of weapons do we use? Um, and, and you got to be careful, too, because I think we all deal with different strongholds. You know, so with the guy I was dealing with this week, you know, he's got this stronghold like I don't even understand. That's why I had to call Dick. Dick's like the, the counselor slash pastor. Um, you know, so he gave me some therapy on the phone driving from Delaware. 
And, and when I told this guy about it, the guy thought it was like this miracle healer because um, I came up with this passage in the story. And, and I, I didn't admit it first that I got it from Dick, but eventually I did. I got to give him all the credit because Dick, Dick was the man when it came, comes to all my counseling sessions. Um, and of course, I gave him Dick. I gave this stranger Dick Bond's cell phone number as usual. And I would say that I've given Dick Bond's cell phone number probably as much as anybody to strangers um, that he probably knows. And sometimes I forget to tell Dick I give him the number. Um, so the person will call, expect Dick to know who they are, and I forgot to tell Dick. That's happened at least twice now. Okay, so just just know, Ray, how I use my, my ministerium. Okay, let's, let's review real quick. Last week, okay, you know I'm in love with the term zealous. I keep coming back to that. That's down there in the bottom, you know, but we, we really learned last week. It's not really what you know and what you can do. It's about attitude, availability, humility. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, where work begins in the Christian home. We talked about how all work is not equal. You know, some's appealing, some's not. <clears throat> we also went through, you know, just looking at the delegation of labor. Um, God uses everybody, you know, nobles, priests, men, women, um, the whole nine yards. So I think that's, that's a pretty important aspect as well. Um, you know, just thinking about the records that are, keep, that are kept, you know, Nehemiah was so specific, okay, just... Um, unbelievably specific and, and uh, one second, I kind of lost everybody's face here. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Very specific. And also don't, you know, again, we talked a little bit about like, like the assignments to the nursery, right? I mean, I, you know, they asked me to do the nursery and I say, no, I need to be careful that I'm not, you know, saying no to, to, to service and labor. Right. So I think that's a, a key part too, that we went through. Okay, so let's dive in. So I told you there's a couple of, um, you know, a couple of people that I like to um, listen to and read uh, when it comes to this Nehemiah. Um, so basically, you know, when, when we get into this, I think it's very important to look at, um, let me ask you a question before I keep going. Are you guys seeing your pictures on the screen when I share it? You are. Okay, I got to be careful because I don't want to hide the words. I like to see everybody's face, but it takes up my whole screen. Okay, so so basically, uh, Packer says the theme of Nehemiah is all about Satan. Okay, I really like the second part. You know, um, it goes back to um, the strongholds we deal with, and Dick uses. I can't believe it. Like I read this this week, and Dick said the same thing. He said strongholds are very similar to a lion on a chain that's that's right near you you know like I'm, I'm scared of heights i'm scared of uh roller coasters i'm scared of uh animals insects the whole nine yards i'm, I'm a big I'm, I'm a big um wimp you're um, a reasonable man that's that's really what it is yep thanks ray so when I, when, I, when I get the vision of being in the same room with a lion on a chain, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's Satan, okay? You're in a small room. You know, right now I'm sitting in a 12 by 12 room. I would have a lion on a chain in the room with me. Now that lion can't attack me, eat me, or kill me unless I go towards it, right? Okay, unless I try to 
pet it or get near it, or I, I drop my guard and I, I kind of wander towards the lion um, because God has sovereignly restricted that lion. So I think when we look at Satan, that's exactly, it's a great image for me with, with a stronghold going back to Paul or going to Satan, you know, a lion on a chain, sovereignly restricted. So, you know, brother Dick, of course, used the lion on the chain example. And then here comes Packer the same way and tells me the same thing. So God must be telling me something about a lion on a chain. Okay, so let's get into chapter four. You know, hopefully you had a, a chance to read through chapter four and really start to uh, consider, you know, what, what's in here. Okay, so let's just start right off in the first verse. Okay, and I'm going to go through the whole thing, but I think I want to have a lot of discussion uh, as we, you know, kind of, you know, peruse our way through this. Um, so the first thing, uh, first verse, you know, when St. Ballot was angry, he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Okay, he became angry, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. Okay, so, you know, look, look at this verse. What happens when, when the mission gets underway? What, what, is, what, what happened to Sam Ballot? Obviously, here comes critic number one. Sam Ballot's in, in, you know, walks into the, the presence of the situation. What, what are the emotions you see here? What, what, what comes? Uh, the enemy gets incensed. <laughs> incensed, in yep. What else? Okay, incensed, angry. He got, he ridiculed the Jews. Okay. So, you, you know, for me, again, I love the word incensed. Anything that imparts more emotion than, than, than I can handle, I, I, you know, it, it helps me to understand picture in all of this. Um, so, think about it. Have you ever come to a time as a believer, okay, you're doing a project, you're doing service for the Lord, okay, something happens, and now you stop working for the kingdom because the enemy affects you? Has that ever happened? You know, I, I, I hate to admit it, okay, but this seems to me like he didn't come tiptoeing into the situation. You know, this guy flew in angry, incensed. And here comes ridicule, okay? So for me, as believers, if we don't expect this and, and are prepared for this, it's likely to stop God's work, you know? And I think to myself of in the church, in, in terms of a corporate setting, I think this does happen, you know what I mean? Because I do think when things come, uh, when sin, you know, abounds, I, I do believe it stops progress. And that could have happened right here in the first verse. We could have been done. Nehemiah would have never been written. Okay. So we, we move on to the next section. Okay. We, we see what happened. Okay. So now we're in uh, the second verse there. Um, and again, he said, Okay, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? 
Okay, so, you know, when I look at that first part of the verse, he ridiculed. So what does, what does ridicule look like? Okay, so that's really, this, this is a pretty important section to start us off. What types of ridicule do we look at? Okay, so I, I tried to highlight kind of what we are going to get into in this little short passage. Okay, so what, what exactly does it look like? The first thing you're going to get is obviously, um, you know, they, he called us feeble. Okay, so what does feeble mean? You know, you're a miserable person. You're, you're withered. So I think the first thing they do when people attack us is they attack our character and they go for the obvious, right? So, you know, I, I got to tell you, I grew up um, kind of in a in suburban Philadelphia, but around a lot of, um, it was it was pretty heavy Jewish population that I had had a lot of, uh, I had friends that were a lot, of, a lot of Jewish kids. And I went to bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. And I had the, the funniest thing ever happened when I was like uh, a senior in high school, I remember I was at somebody's house and they had this picture book on the table and, you know, bar mitzvahs were at like age 12, I think, when you become a man or a woman. Okay. And you have this celebration and these things were bigger than weddings. Okay. So I'd go to these things, they'd have dancing and everything else. I looked at this picture and there was this picture of all these 12 year olds dancing on a dance floor from like above. And there's this giant man in the middle. I couldn't believe how big the person was like, look like a freak. Okay. It was me. Okay. At age 12, I'm telling you, I was a physical anomaly because I was so stinking big. I, I, I couldn't believe how I stood out. So if, 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 if this were me, the first thing that, that Sam Ballot would say is, Hey, fatso, you know, they go after what's the obvious, right? They go after the person that might be overweight. Okay. If you have some kind of physical impediment, they're going to call you a cripple. Okay. If, if, if you're not so popular, they're going to call you a name that's obvious. The enemy knows exactly where you're most vulnerable and that's where they start the attack. Okay. So when they call these Jews feeble and miserable, okay, think about it. They've been living in rubble for a hundred years. Okay. They're pathetic. They're laying on the street. They're bums. Okay. And, and this person, Sand Ballot, when they attack your character, don't think that they're going to tiptoe into this. They're going to go after the most obvious, you know? So for me, it's that large man in the middle of the bar mitzvah dance floor, right? I mean, it's, this guy stands out like a sore thumb. Okay. And this is what's going to knock him down the best. Okay. And, and I think, and again, I've been a one and nine head football coach. Okay. Wins and losses is what people went after with me. Okay. It's easy, you know, it's simple. And I think that's the part, you know, if somebody's struggling financially, they're going to go after that first. Okay. So the first thing you saw was a character assassination. Okay. The second thing that it was obvious that they asked was, you know, will they restore their wall? Okay. Now he's asking questions, you know, will they restore their wall? So I, I think, you know, what we're seeing here is, do they even have the ability to do what they say they're doing? You know, they're going to question that you're not capable. Okay. And, and so after the character attack, you know, here comes the ability attack, right? 
Okay, so we're, we're going to say that not only are you this, but you're trying to do something that you're not even capable of. Okay, and you know, for, for me personally, um, that has always been kind of a motivator when someone says I can't do something. You know, my wife once told me I can't buy a beach house. Okay, I can't get a doctorate. Okay, and I, I think for me, you know, it, 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 it invigorates something in me that I'm a little oppositional defiant. Okay, and, and I, think, I think that's what we all have to have is some kind of defiance when we have a clear picture of what God wants from us. Okay, so the next thing that the attack was made on, you know, that then he says, will they offer sacrifices? Okay, they are going to, the, the opposition, Satan, they are going to question your God, you know, your belief in God, your spiritual walk. Okay. And he directly did that attack the character, you know, attacked your ability. Now, now, now what Sam Ballot's doing is he's attacking, you know, do you love God? Do you know God? Um, do you know about this God you serve? Because it all has to do with sacrifices. And then finally, you know, I think as he gets in, will they finish? Okay. So we all know, I'm sure if we went out there and did some Google research on projects started and projects completed, especially by men, okay, there's got to be a failure percentage there that's below 50%, right? Or a, a, how about a succession below 50%, okay? I, I think we're all project starters, but we're not all project finishers, okay? So he's going he's gonna to attack this as well. You know, Sam Ballot, very, very intelligent person. I mean, it, he, he went right after it and he categorically tried to tear everything apart. All these people are working, they're tired, they're sacrificing, and this is where he goes. Any thoughts with that so far? Yeah, I kind of think, you know, he's also trying to sow seeds of doubt. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the questions, he want he wants them to start to doubt themselves. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think, you know, I think we're all self-conscious people, right? You know, so yeah. I, I think at the heart of what we do, um, I'm not sure there's anybody, you know, that, that thinks they're perfect or does not doubt what they do. And and again, take it a second, you know, it's easy to it's easy not to doubt yourself, maybe when you're by yourself. But remember, Nehemiah is in front of several people. You know, he's got all the eyes looking at him. You know, I, I'm telling you, it is difficult when you're standing up in front of a room as a leader and you have to profess to a plan and everybody's got their eyes on you when the critics start attacking you and you've got to have the right answers, you know. And, and I think that's a very challenging situation. Other thoughts? Like I was thinking back at verse one, just the question of what's louder, because like you said, when, when you start the vision, what's louder, the vision or the opposition? And so like Nehemiah's had the vision and here comes the opposition. If the opposition was louder than Nehemiah's vision, it could overtake. And those people that doubt would start to, to feed into the people, right? So it goes back to the strength of Nehemiah and how he already started with the vision and got the buy-in before the opposition started. 
you know, there's a, there's a concept, Brad, that I'm going to talk about here just later on in the passage. And it's, you know, I, I use the term internal vulnerability. Okay. We always have enemies that are created from within, you know, and I think you're exactly right. You know, I think at this point, when Sam Ballot's doing this, do you think that he's winning over some of your peoples, some of your peeps? You know, they're going the other direction, right? So I think that's hard because, you, you, you know, you've got to figure out when you've got that internal combustibility or, or somebody, something's going on within the organization, um, that can have a profound effect too. Good point. Anything else? I think, you know, one of the things is as we were working through these verses, I was thinking about, you know, Sam Ballot is a true enemy. And sometimes there, there are true enemies that are fighting against us. And then there are others that are looking to follow, but are struggling, right? And so trying to identify the difference between the two, not saying that everybody that struggles with doubt is, a, is, an, is an op- you know, somebody opposing us. But so it, it's, it, there's a delicate balance, right? And I think the key was in verse one when he says he was angry. And he was greatly incensed. You know, that was the easy identifier as, oh, Sam Ballot's, he's an enemy. He, he's opposing this versus just struggling to see what's the value or why are we doing this? Or, because um, I know, Mike, your personality, with my personality, I may ask a lot of questions and that'll frustrate you, right? But oh. me asking questions may not be me opposing it, but me trying to get on board. So it's in leadership, trying to understand those two differences. That's a great point, Ray, because that is my kryptonite. I'll stand up in front of a group and somebody asks two or three questions. I all of a sudden say, hey, let's have a private meeting. You know, stop asking questions. Let me go on the next thing. All right. So let's, 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 keep, let's keep rolling for sure. Um, I'm going to talk about, Ray, I'm going to talk about a trumpet player. You need some trumpet players, man. That's what I'm, I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. I, I've been fascinated with that in this passage, too. That's another thing that I love uh, in, in this reading. Okay, so in comes uh, Tobiah. Okay, and now we, we're moving along here. And um, here's our second critic. Okay, and... Um, you know, I find it interesting because Tobiah kind of does the same thing, right? You know, like he goes right to the ridicule, okay? And, you know, what's he say to us? So, you know, we see what Tobiah says. I think he does a character attack. I also think that he questions whether they're going to, uh, you know, the integrity of doing they know what they're doing. Um, you know, so here is how Nehemiah responds. And, you know, I, I, I highlighted this as, you know, hear us, hear us our God, for we are despised. Okay. So the way I envision this is Nehemiah is praying publicly to a lot of people. So this is just another example of prayer. So I wanted to go backwards just a little bit and just remember the times when Nehemiah was challenged so far. You know, initially when he found out about the state of affairs in Jerusalem, we know you know, he, this is what his response in, in, in the first chapter was, was, was very intimate, okay? Um, it was very deep. It was very personal. It was very long. You know, we had four months of prayer. I can only imagine what that looked like as he's working for the king, and every day he is just critically praying and fasting and emotional. 
And then we saw another type of prayer from Nehemiah when he was on the spot with the king, right? The king put him on the spot in chapter two, and we had that missile prayer, right? I mean, he was put on a spot. He had to make a, a proclamation that he might get killed over, and he had a quick prayer. And now we see Sanballat and Tobiah coming to get him. He prays again, but what kind of prayer is this? This felt like more of a, you know, public prayer, you know? So I think that when people ask, how do you pray? Well, it depends on the situation, right? You know, so I think it, we have to, we can't, we can't put prayer in a box, okay? We can't define prayer, okay? Because here are three beautiful examples from Nehemiah where it, it all looked and sounded different, okay? And, and, and I think for us, the lesson that I took away from this is, um, you, you know, I think prayer has, has its effect in different circumstances, different places. And I think God is going to take us through our seasons. We're going to have to make quick decisions. Okay. We're going to have to make long decisions. I mean, it's going to take us a while to be patient. Okay. And, and, and again, you, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have emotion through our prayers. So I think it's, you know, just something that I thought really stood out to me as we got started again. Any thought with the prayer aspect here? Okay. Okay, so we, we moved ahead here. And now we're going to take a look at the options. Okay, so let me just read through uh, this passage. Okay, so says, turn their insults back on their own heads, give, give them over as plunder in the land of captivity, do not cover them up, guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Okay, so in that last, in that last section, again, you know, we have an opportunity when we are, our critics come at, at us, okay? So think about what you do when people criticize you. Okay, and, and just the questions I thought in my own mind are, you know, I, I know people can, when, when I'm criticized, my dander gets up and I'm, I'm more apt to argue and fight. Okay, so that's one response, right? I know other people, you know, who become depressed or they, they you know, they recoil. Okay, so that, that's another maybe response. Okay, I know other people who go and gossip to others, you know, they, they get mad and they walk away and, and their result is, you know, just a, you know, we're, we're going to gossip with one another. Um, so I think as we go through this, let's process how we handle criticism, right? And it's not even just as a leader, but, but possibly just in general. And, and, and I think for me, we see how Nehemiah, um, you know, gets this. So let me keep, keep keep on moving here. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. So like Nehemiah is dealing with the criticism, but they keep working. For the people work with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashton heard that the repairs in Jerusalem walls had gone ahead with the gaps and they were being closed, they were all very angry. They all plotted together to come up and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. Okay, so think about this. Okay, I think on the next one, I just wanted to, you know, so here we are in a situation, 
you know, picture the wall, you know, where the, the, the you know, the kind of the weather vane there is or the, the directional arrows. You, you know, we've got, they're surrounded um, by critics. So we, we obviously knew sand ballot was there. Okay, but we had now, you know, the Ammonites, the Ashdites, and the Arabs that were surrounding us. Okay, so when you look back here and verse eight, it says they all plotted together and they're all going to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So, you know, you look at Sam Ballot, I picture that uh, him and Tobiah could not, you know, their criticism didn't work, you know. So you look at verse six up there. And people went back to working and kept working and dealt with the criticism. You know, we saw what Nehemiah did, he, what he told them to do. He said, hear us, O God, for we're despised. He had this public prayer. He told them what to do, you know, in terms of how to deal with this criticism. Okay. And then the people responded in verse six, and they went back to work and kept building. I can only imagine San Ballot and Tobiah going bananas, okay, because they thought they could have an effect on this, and they really didn't. So what they did was they they went to gossip, they went to create more chaos, okay. And what they're saying here is now we've got more people plotting together to fight against Jerusalem, okay. So at that point, Nehemiah didn't think he had to do anything but pray and get back to work. Okay, because Tobiah and St. Ballot didn't bring enough, enough gumption, right? There wasn't enough fighting then. So now we got to get some more people. Okay, so now they're surrounded at this point and they're plotting together. Okay, so again, what do you do again? So Nehemiah found out there's more critics. We went back to praying. You know, it's amazing how we go back to praying, right? Okay, but he also did something. Okay, so what, what happened? He prayed in verse nine to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay. So it's, it's evident that, you know, it's, you know, again, we have to have some type of response or action and be prepared for that. Okay. So he went to posting guards and he went to, you know, a second shift, if you will. Okay. Cause he knew that this threat had now increased to a point where, I, you know, we can't just avoid it. You know, I think when he was just saying Ballant and Tobiah, he said, we can handle this. They don't, they don't have a plan. Well, now Sam Ballant and Tobiah went away and planned with some other audiences and now there was a threat. So now we had to do something. Okay. So that's, that's what brings us to this next part where, you know, we consider how we handle, um, you know, not only doing the task, Okay, being obedient to God, but now how do we adjust the plan? Okay. <clears throat> so it says, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Okay, I, I want to highlight the fact, you know, that, that people are going to be among us. Okay, so, so Ray, when we talked, you know, I brought that term that, that, or, or Brad, that internal vulnerability, okay? We have to understand, okay, that the enemy is going to work its way into our organization, okay? These are not external threats only, 
We always have internal threats. Even at Chick-fil-A, they have internal threats, Brad. Okay, I know it's a godly organization, but you're going to have some sinners attack you from within, right? So I think that that's the part that at Mount Calvary Church, Ray, you're an employee, but there's going to be sinners, okay? They're going to want to break things down from the inside out. We got to know it's going to be there, right? So I think that's very important. Any thoughts about that? Any experiences with internal vulnerability? Okay, let's keep rolling. Okay, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over again, whenever you turn, they're going to attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, exposed at the places, posting them by families with swords and spears and bows. Okay, so, you know, the first thing that stood out to me here was, you know, I think, I think actually Nehemiah is probably getting a little irritated. Okay, you know, like, I, I love it because, you know, I, I don't think Nehemiah, Nehemiah is my type of leader. That's why I'm so attracted to this passage because he's got a little gumption, right? Okay, he, he's telling us, you know, this, is, this keeps happening. I'm getting sick of this. I'm getting irritated 10 times over, okay? Wherever you turn, they're going to attack us, okay? So I, I love, again, there's a transition word here, therefore, okay? Therefore kind of tells me there's something else coming that's going to be a little bit different. We made a decision. You know, we need to have therefores in our lives because situations aren't always as what they seem they're going to be. You know, you've got to, you got to be ready for the therefores. Okay. So what, what did he do? Okay. He, he stationed people at the lowest point. So, you know, now he knew let's identify places where we're vulnerable. Right. Okay. So, you know, again, he is, I, I just have this image of Nehemiah again, you know, running around with a clipboard, but taking copious notes about what we need to keep doing. Okay. He didn't just get the plan going, but he kept revising the plan. Okay. Remember again, did the vision change? Vision never changed. We're still building that stinking wall, right? Okay. But how we built that wall is going to continually change. Okay. I got a, I got a real, I, I made, I made our whole district this year, uh, take on a new math program. Okay. And I was Satan. Okay. Cause I, I, I brought in a new math program during a pandemic and, and I had about 200 teachers, 150 teachers that said, this guy's evil. Okay. The goal though, is we want the best math program for students. Okay. Despite the conditions, I understand there's a pandemic, but we want our kids to have the best math program. Okay. So I get emails, you know, every so often of, of frustrated people, you know, it's a hard year to be a teacher. I know they're frustrated. They're working hard. They're great people. Okay. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't have anything to do with whether they're doing the right math program or not. You're just tired, right? You're frustrated. And I get that, but keep, you know, keep on doing it. You know, so I think as I'm doing this, though, I want them to identify the lowest points in the math program through the whole year. So this is like the first year we're doing this. And of course, anytime you do anything once, it's never going to be your best effort, right? Okay, so I need them to get through this and reflect so we can revise and do things well. So you got to find your low points in the wall in any project. And you're always going to have low points in a project, 
So if you expect not to have low points, you're thinking crazy. Okay. So, you know, every big plan has low points. And, and I think this is what was cool with Nehemiah was, okay, he found them and he made a plan for them. Okay. So, you know, what, what did he do? Okay. He posted people there and he put the, the, the families by the low points because he knew the families did a jet better job than people who weren't families, right. Of protecting those walls. And he gave them weapons. All right. Any thoughts with that? I tend to get on a rabbit trail when I like a certain word or two. Okay, let's keep rocking then. Okay, next section. After he looked over things, he stood up and he said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and, and will fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When your enemies, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to our own work, okay? So again, I, I picture the, 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 the four enemies on every side of the wall, um, you know, them starting to bicker. I see them running away. I see them confused because, you know, we, with, we withstood that opposition. And I think, you know, Nehemiah, um, this is a point in this passage, you know, where the people, you know, see that we're going to be okay, you know, and at some point, you know, that's when you hit the gas pedal again, right? Okay, you know, you, you, you kind of, uh, sometimes you, you, you might, you, you know, might put the cruise control on a little bit and just keep working, but then when those enemies now are confused, you know, that, let's, let's go back to work and let's get after it, Okay. Mike, I think the I Go think ahead. the other thing that he uh, points out here is he reminds them it's so much bigger than they are. You know, he he brings up the Lord, and then their families, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their homes. Um, I think sometimes we got to realize what what we're in the middle of is a lot of times it's a lot bigger than we are. That's awesome. And, you know, funny you say that, Ryan, because so many times um, I don't think we think enough about God's resources he provides. You know, like, I, I, you know, I've got a little extra money in my checking account or they, they, they've blessed us with a little extra money in the budget, you know, or they've blessed us with some facilities that look pretty good. You know, we got to be careful that, that we don't keep keep that you know, you know, that idea that God is blessing. Great point, Ryan. Yep. Great point. And just to piggyback on that, um, the idea of when you start these projects that they're so big, it, it was in an, another chapter, I think that we discussed this, that they're so big that only God could accomplish them. And that is actually a saving point for you. So when you have this opposition, Nehemiah could come back to, don't be afraid. God's got it because you have to believe God's got it because it's God that's done it so far. Like you wouldn't even have started it if it weren't for God. So he's just reminding people we're doing this. The only way we could got this far is because, because of God, he's going to see us through. Absolutely. Great point. I, I, 
I think about here where Nehemiah wasn't silent, right? He didn't endure the criticism and silence, but that he, he spoke out to lead. Uh, and so sometimes I think when we're faced with attack, we just, we endure and put our head down, bull, bull our way forward. But the, in that silence, Satan can use that to breed or uh, help uh, foster the discouragement in the people. And so Nehemiah, by speaking, is addressing that, what some of the people may be struggling with. And so uh, I think you said it in an earlier slide, but, it, you know, he's motivating. He's not a taskmaster or a dictator, uh, but he's a motivational leader. And so that you see that come out. And I think sometimes as leaders, we got to remember Hey, our people need to be reminded of why we're doing this. Absolutely. He's definitely a motivator and encourager. There's no two ways about that for sure. The word that comes to mind for me is balance. He has balance in areas of his life that allow him to, I guess, pivot when things go wrong. And, you know, his prayer life is part of that. His preparation is part of that, you know, just acknowledging that God is, is the bigger part of what's going on here uh, propels him or compels him to do the right thing. Yeah. So go back staff to that very first verse I shared from Paul and he talks about demolishing strongholds and we don't fight with weapons of the world, but we do have weapons. So you just mentioned it. Prayer is by far one of our greatest weapons, right? And Nehemiah shows that because every time he has an assault or an attack, he uses prayer as a weapon. So I think that's very important for us to understand, you know, that that is a weapon that we have. I would also say, you know, somebody challenged me this week that scripture memory is a weapon that we have, you know, so they, they, they challenged me this week with that verse in Second Corinthians that Paul wrote you know, to keep that weapon in my front pocket, you know, so I wrote it down this week and yeah, I carried a weapon around, right? I had my permit to carry. My permit to carry was my scripture card, right? So I think that that's what as believers we're equipped with. Um, yeah, I, I had read when I was doing the study, I had read a interesting parallel to Ephesians and in the, the armor of God um, and pointing out different things that Nehemiah did that, that triggered different, different armor of God. But anyway, the, um, the two things that I thought were interesting that you reminded me of was the, that one prayer is what triggers the armor of God. You, you can't put on anything without prayer. Prayer is what, there's no armor if there's not prayer. Cause that's the, the tying in the buying in. That's what makes you put on the armor is the prayer. But then the second thing is that the only oppositional weapon we have, like everything's defensive, the armor of God, right? They're, the only oppositional weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, is the word of God, is is having those things. Um, and so Nehemiah wasn't panicking. Everyone else is panicking, right? You know, like, oh, they were discouraged. They were, they felt defeated. They, they used words like that in, in this passage they told him 10 times over they're going to attack they're going to attack but nehemiah is like chill we got it god's got it it's okay um mm -hmm. the only time he addresses them really is like don't be afraid <laughs> we remind you of the vision and it, that's because of the prayer and because of god's words to him like do this thing have this vision have this you know god's got it um 
sorry, I say a lot of words. I wish I could be more succinct, but um... <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Okay. So let's just, let's just jump into the end of this and the closing of this. Okay. So from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the walls. Those who carried the materials did the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Okay. There's some really cool things that we get to now that I just love. So, you know, the first thing, you know, so here's, here's what we're going to do from now on. The plans change. This is going to be the new status quo, right? Okay. So Nehemiah is saying we did it this way, but we've got to do it this way because we've got some opposition. Okay. So, you know, when I look at that second passage that I highlighted around verse 17, I, I love the idea. There's a um, Charles Spurgeon had a magazine he published. Okay. And he's this, you know, theology guru. Okay. That we all hear his name and we sit up and listen. Right. Well, his magazine was called the, the sword and the trowel, you know? So why did he call it the sword and the trowel? He named it after Nehemiah because as believers, we've always got to be ready to work and we've got to be ready to fight. Okay. So I think that that really stands out in my mind. You know, when, so when you look at a leadership quality, you know, the sword to trowel is something that I think we've got to speak to our leaders about, you know, that, that they have to be prepared for both of those endeavors. Um, the second thing that kind of stood out to me is, and I, I perseverated on this one big time, you know, you get, you get a little passage or a little word that you, you can't get out of your head, okay? I've always believed in having a trumpet player, you know, like for me, I, I've never been able to quantify that or, or categorize that for myself. But like, I'll give you an example. When I interviewed to be a head coach, okay, I always believe when you're a head coach, I had, I had uh, 12 assistants, okay? So I had three programs, I had 12 assistant coaches. I wanted, and I was going into a brand new school district. I didn't know anybody. Lebanon County was like Mars to me, okay? I'd never been there. Um, it was a different planet and everybody knew each other. That was the greatest part. The guy from Philly, you think about the guy from Philly coming to Lancaster County is bad. You should see the guy from Philly going to Lebanon County, Ryan. Okay. That's right. Mr. Anvil, when you go to Lebanon County and you walk in, it's like, every, it, it, I felt like I walked in without any clothes on, right? They all were looking at me. So what I told them was in this interview, I quickly realized I had to bring in one of my own, you know, so I'll never forget this. They offered me the head coaching job in Lebanon County. Okay. And I said, you know what? I realized in this interview, I better get somebody I, get, I better get a trumpet player, okay? I got to get somebody that I can trust, you know? And, and so I brought in a trumpet player from Harrisburg, okay? It was really funny. He was my offensive coordinator, but it, it, it was it, at that point, I just got this feeling that I had to have somebody that I like knew their name and knew who they related to, okay? And that was my buddy from Harrisburg. He was my trumpet player. I think in any organization, you better have a trumpet player, you know, so just like Nehemiah was what? A cupbearer, right? He, the, the king trusted the cupbearer because the cupbearer was able to protect the king from threats of death. You know, heck, the, the king before King Artaxis, Ar, Ar whatever his name is, okay, he was killed because the cupbearer poisoned him, you know, the previous king. So, you know, Nehemiah learned on the job 
that he had to have his, he called it a trumpet bearer. The king called it the cup bearer. I'm just saying that you got to have somebody you trust. Okay. So when you ever, ever enter a leadership model. So for me, okay. You know, there's times when I apply for new jobs. Okay. So I, when I look for a new job in every interview I'm in, I'm bringing the trumpet player with me. I want one. Sometimes that trumpet player exists in an organization where I am looking to apply for a job and that's an attractive thing to me. Okay. So if I'm applying for a job and I've got a buddy or I've got a person I know that's a trumpet player, that that's more reason for me to apply. Okay. If I don't know somebody, it's still the reason for me to apply, but I'm going to bring somebody. Okay. Anybody have an opinion about trumpet players? Go ahead, lay it on me. I, I dare you to argue with me because this is one of my favorite parts of the passion as a trumpet player. I mean, you're you're right. Um, <laughs> the first the first year that I took on that I took on OCC Operation Christmas Child, um, I felt like a man, like a one woman island. Like I just felt alone. Like I was the only one doing it. Or I, was, I mean, it's not true, but it felt that way. Um, and then I did have a couple of well-meaning people, I think more in the Ray camp of, of questioning whether we should be rolling it out to all the church when it, we had done it before, when it was just in the middle. Anyway, and so it just, it made me like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I? And then the next year I had found someone who was my cheerleader. I won't call her out, but like who, I was like, I just need a cheerleader. I need somebody to say, not to say that I'm not, everything I do is great, but just to be like, you're doing the right thing, like to pray beside you to say, yeah, that's a good idea or that, you know, you like to have a sounding board and to have somebody that you trust that, that believes in the same vision and can, um, it just makes you feel so much better to have somebody else there that can be like, no, 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 you're on the right track. It's, it's okay. You're good. You're good. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I don't know if this is the person, Daisy, but the, the one person in the ministry at Mount Calvary that's a great trumpet player is Elizabeth Lero. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was Elizabeth Lero. It still is Elizabeth Lero. Yeah, she's she's a great. So all I would say is in terms of a trumpet player, Elizabeth's yeah. been the upward trumpet player. She's been the OCC trumpet player. And yeah. she's been, the, believe it or not, the mops trumpet player for my wife and probably so yeah. many more. So it's funny how people fit into that role of they don't have to be at the forefront but they're phenomenal trump trumpet players you know and, and so, i couldn't do so it we'll without call her really up today and call her a trumpet player she'll have no idea what we're talking about she'll she's so type a she'll perseverate on that for weeks we'll give it to her okay any other comments i gotta be kissy ray you, you record this and, and and i can't be like unsolicited Okay, let's keep rolling and finish oh, the oh. section here. Wait, wait, wait. I, I just, I did have something not on trumpet players, but about the last passage that um, I noticed, and I don't know, this is not from a commentary, so I'm on my own on this one, but I noticed that Nehemiah didn't really change the strategy until everyone else started to panic. Right, like he right. seemed okay. I just kept getting the overwhelming sense reading it that he went to God in prayer, God's got it. And he kept moving on, but it wasn't until he felt like the work, what probably wasn't going to get done or the work was going to suffer that he changed the strategy almost for the benefit of the people working than true belief that, that they were 
compromised. Do you know what I mean? Like it made mm -hmm. people feel better that they had a wall of people there to protect them. It made people feel better. And then it energized them to have the trowel in their hand and working at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Great point. Yeah, great point. That's something I didn't pick up totally, for sure. Okay. So let me go through just the rest of the passage here so we can kind of um, kind of wrap her up here. Uh, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work's extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear that sound of the trumpet, join us. Our God will fight for us. So we continue to work with half the men holding spears from first light uh, till the dawn, till the stars came out. So what we see here are two things again. You know, they, they have a plan if they are attacked. And then they also move to two shifts, right? So then now they have two shifts of workers. So now we're not only back, but now we're layered and we've got another plan on how to continue moving forward. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside of Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor my guards with me took off our clothes. Each of us had his weapon and even when he went for water. So the only thing I'd also say to that is this, two, two final things that, that are pointed out here, okay? That, that every man, remember there's people coming from outside of Jerusalem, right? So they worked, went home to sleep, came back to work, went home to sleep, went back to work. He made another change where he didn't let people leave at night, okay? So we went to two shifts, we had everybody armed, we had the trumpet player ready to go, and then we also made it that you had to, you know, you had to stay on site, okay? And then he finishes with neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards, okay? So he included himself in the work, okay? So at no point did Nehemiah go home to his house. At no point did Nehemiah stop working. You know, at no point did Nehemiah not have a sword, Okay, so Nehemiah was also prepped for battle as well. Okay, so I think, again, leading by example, I think was something that Nehemiah did constantly, but we never read about it because I think there's humility here. But with some of the pronouns, the personal pronouns we see throughout this passage in the book, okay, we see he's been included and we know what he's doing, right? You can draw inferences from the way he's speaking in like this first person account of how he's involved okay any thoughts with that okay i want to really just zip through whenever i do these I, I really want to take just a few notes from the authors that i'm using a little bit and as i'm digging um, and i don't want to miss anything so i want to burn through a couple of final notes just so i can throw them out there um, and you can read them on the screen um, you know, I'm just going to hit on, on a couple of things here, um, you know, so that in chapter four to six, okay, that the enemy uses tactics to stop work. Chapter four had four of those tactics that we got into. So we're going to see more tactics as we move on to chapter five and six um, as we go through this. I like what Spurgeon said above here, you know, that, that he only had one son. Okay, uh, without sin, but he never had a son without a trial. We know Jesus had a trial, obviously. Okay, we're all going to have trials. So I think we have to be prepped for enemies and trials. 
um, throughout our ministry and our personal personal walk. Okay, again, if we're going to spend a lot of time not knowing how to handle the enemy, I believe Satan's going to get to move closer. So think about when you're not prepared for Satan, you, you, you start to you start to wander a little bit. You start to not know where you're at. And, and that lion that's on the chain, you get a little bit closer to accidentally because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to respond. Um, you know, prayer was obviously brought out in this section as well. Um, and just know that people are always going to have difficulty working together. Discouragement is obviously something Satan uses. When people are faced with fear, they need to be reminded of the greatness of God. You know, Wiersbe pointed that out. I thought that, you know, that was brought up in our discussion here. Okay, Packer had some notes about Sanballat and who he was. I, I, the little red part about this, you can read through it. But, you know, I think it's very important for us to know who our enemies are. You know, you've got to do your research. You've got you to know history. Okay, so like when I moved into Lebanon County, I didn't know anybody. You got to be intentional about understanding who those people are that you're going to be working with because somebody's going to be your enemy, right? So you should know this, know your opposition, know your opponent. It's all about film study, right? You got to, you got to, you got to know it intimately. Okay, to buy again, you know, I, I think you know another point to be made here is um, Nehemiah never let his faith, okay. Um, you know, I, I think in this case with Tobiah, you know, knowing that I believe there was faith here with Tobiah. It wasn't about Nehemiah, it was about Tobiah, that, that um, you know, his faith had no effect on him. You know, so I think we're going to have people like that as well. <clears throat> Again, I get into zeal here a little bit. I, I always get caught up on that. N know about the threats that you're going to have, you know, within your, your organization, your leadership model. Okay, again, here are some reactions that Nehemiah had, you know, visions are, are not static, okay, and I think that's a big part of Nehemiah's plan here. At the bottom, I put a little note that, like, the pandemic response this year, if any, if, if leaders were static during the pandemic, they failed, you know, if you did things the same this year, you failed. Chick-fil-A's business went through the roof, I can't even get in the stinking parking lot when I go up to to Brad's business, I get stuck at Sheets because he's so stinking busy that the parking lot's lined back out to 441, okay? But that's because he was a good leader and he responded to the pandemic, okay? He wasn't static. Okay, so just in closing, and then I'll get some comments from you, okay? These are my takeaways, and there's only four of them, and I think they're good, okay? Just because this is stuff that stuck with me. Andy Stanley says, you know, be stubborn about a vision, but be flexible with your plan. Okay, so starting in Nehemiah 4.16, he used that statement from that day on. He changed his plan. You know, Spurgeon obviously said, and of course my spelling's phenomenal, sword and the trowel. So if you start building, be prepared for battling. Okay, that's another thing we got to keep in our back pocket. Packer talked about the line on the chain is sovereignly restricted, okay? God will always outduel Satan, okay? We need to be careful, though, of internal vulnerability. And then, obviously, the trumpet player. I wouldn't close without talking about the trumpet player. 
Okay. Any final thoughts here with this chapter before we kind of close? I think sometimes, uh, you know, I, I definitely get, I can get all caught up in defending myself and trying to get my plan, my project um, rolling, moving, and finished. And sometimes you take that small part and don't include the big picture of it. So when we prepare for our enemies, what's the purpose? Is it just to defend our plan? Is it just to defend ourselves? Or could we reach our enemy for Christ while doing it? You know, it's hilarious, Ryan, because I got rid of one of my notes, but I, I, I asked the same question. I said, do you think, do you think Nehemiah witnessed to Sam Ballot and Tobiah at all? You know, I, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to think he did, but you know, what, what's the message there? You know, do is the message that, you, you know, there, there's going to be lost people in the world, you know, the world exists with lost people and, you know, there, there's, there's a place for those people eternally, obviously. And I'm not sure, you know, how, how much are, are we to, you know, minister and how much are we to defend? That's, that, boy, is that a challenging question? That's a whole sermon in itself, Ray. That, that's what I want Ray to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess a lot of it comes back to what you said, you know, knowing your opposition. Um, obviously, you don't know any man's heart. We can't judge them. But you can, you can definitely tell. Um, and I guess it's a difference between, like Ray said, if, if they are questioning you to disrupt what you're doing, or are they questioning you to try to understand what you're doing? Uh, maybe that's the difference. I'm listening, Ray. I really am. That's good. Your point's being taken, Ray. So, I mean, I, it also made me think about the fact that we shouldn't be surprised that the world acts like the world, right? So yeah, uh, what's harder in a Christian context is sometimes the church acts like the world. And so that, that sometimes is surprising. But, but I, I tell my kids all the time, I said, we're not surprised when sinners act like sinners, um, and, and we respond in love towards that. So it, I, it is interesting to think about it in that context, Mike and Ryan, that I hadn't, I hadn't looked at this passage and thought, oh, did Nehemiah try to convert them, right? Try to win them to faith in God. Uh, but that's an important question because we will face opposition from people that are opposed to God, but we shouldn't be surprised by that. And then we will face opposition from people that like Tobiah, right, that should know God and don't. Uh, and again, we shouldn't be surprised by that, but maybe we respond to those two differently. You know what, Ray? I'm going to call Pastor Dan. I haven't talked to him in a while. That feels like a Pastor Dan question for sure. Any other comments? And the thing that is nibbling at like, like itchy brain is just sitting there is why did they hate them building the wall so much? that they were so incensed 
like, why? And the only thing I can come up with is that they probably had some sort of control over them and didn't want them to be independent because right the wall means freedom and independence and freedom from attack and free so but they're their neighbor like why would they be mad about that they were once independent you know and and plus they're jews too so wouldn't they want protection and security in the area um so yeah it's just i'm i'm, I'm wrestling with that like the like Ray said that it's an internal opposition, like, right. It's not a external there. They are Jews. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know why they, they, they truly hated them so much. It is interesting. It, it is one of those passages where you want to know more. What other yeah. thoughts do we have? Well, sometimes change, sometimes change just for anything is going to create opposition, right? We don't like change or significant Amen. portion of the population doesn't like change. And so um, like Mike, you're, you're, you and Daisy and Matt Allette, right? I look at the list of people, you guys are, are in a minority, right? You guys are all D personalities and want to lead, but the majority are people like me and Stefan, right? That are like, ah, I don't want to change. So, so there is a sense that resistance to change is just going to happen anytime something's different. Sure. Well, there's resistance and then there's <laughs> getting all of your enemies to attack. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So let me, let me get to next, next week and where we're going to go, you know? So again, I just closing thought, be stubborn with your vision, flexible, with your plan. Andy Stanley is the man. Uh, I've gone through visioneering like five times his book. If you ever want to read the best book around visioneering is it. Um, in terms of leading somebody from point A to point B. You know, if you've got a group of people, you're going from A to B, uh, Andy Stanley's book's excellent. Let's go through uh, Nehemiah 5 next week, okay? And what we're gonna see with Nehemiah 5 is his public address, okay? You know, I think that, you know, Nehemiah worked with individuals, obviously, okay? Now we're gonna see him work with more groups of people and continue that way. Um, so, you, you know, the leadership qualities just spew out of this passage over and over again as we move through it because the audiences tend to grow. Um, and, I, and I think the opposition is part of that. Um, so I, I just threw a little thought in here, the, the old Starbucks story. I don't know if you all know this, but, you know, I, I found it interesting. You know, I, I hate Starbucks, first of all. OK, I'm not a, I'd rather have McDonald's coffee than Starbucks. I think Starbucks is overpriced and doesn't taste real good. Um, and I really like McDonald's. It's cheap. Um, so, but I find it interesting with Howard Schultz because his business plan, his marketing plan, you know, and just in terms of leadership. And if you know what Starbucks has done, you know, Howard Schultz did two major shutdowns, you know, where, you know, he got upset with what happened. And whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I'm not, that's not my point here. My point here is that as an organizational leader, okay, in, in 08, you know, people weren't making good coffee. They were cutting corners and he shut every store down to, to re, retrain them. You know, you think about the money he lost in order to take a step back to retrain. And then in 18, he did the same thing when they, they had the racial uh, situation in one of the Starbucks, you know, about racial bias. So I, I think you know, uh, as we move to the public address, we're going to look at group 
dynamics and, and group decision making um, more so than individual. And um, I, I think it's cool. It, it, it moves a nice path here. Okay. All right. I will stop sharing. Any final comments? This is good. It's the first time I got to see everybody. I stopped sharing. Any any final comments? Okay. Matt Allett, it's like you were sleeping this morning. You usually have something to say. Uh, I'll, I'll say something real quick since you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> the whole chapter, verse, verse six is one of my favorite verses so far. Um, we talked a lot about as a leader, Nehemiah identifying himself with the problem, even though he wasn't the problem. And then in verse six, he gives his workers all the credit. He says, we finished because everyone worked hard. He didn't take the credit for himself. He recognized the work they did. So it was interesting that success, he passed it to other people failure he took it on himself and i think that's a good attitude for a leader to have awesome thanks matt <laughs> i knew i'd get some all right let me let me close in prayer if you don't mind and we'll, we'll go off on our way heavenly father lord we're thankful for the message of nehemiah thankful lord that um, we can take a, a a lot of time to go through a chapter and take away a lot of information pray that each one of these people in their own way processes and, and applies what's learned in your scripture. Lord, help us to be um, armed, Lord, and ready uh, for, for any enemy and help us to have our weapons, Lord, that you have assigned us, Lord. Help us to be prepared for uh, the battle with, with the godly weapons. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, next week. Let's get them. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike.